All right. How's it going, everyone? Uh, my name is Omar Thabit. Welcome to the Table Talk podcast. Uh, we are joined with two um, amazing guests, and uh, we are going to let everybody come on in and watch the show because it is 7 o'clock exactly. And uh, I just want to, again, say thank you to everybody that's watching or that will be watching, and a special thank you to our two guests here. Um, I'm going to start off with Dr. Khalid Shajra. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming here. I appreciate it. And then we got Hena Matahir as well. Uh, I appreciate you coming here today. They're both going to be sharing uh, their thoughts on the topics that we have planned out for you. Of course, you got my big sister here, Abir Thabit. And then we hopefully will have Shayma Ghalib, uh, but her uncle, Lair Hamad, just passed away. Um, so we uh, probably won't be expecting her today. But if she comes, I just message her and let her know that she is welcome to come on in whenever she can come. Uh, but I first want to start off the show by letting you introduce yourself, because I'm sure um, you can do that a lot better than I can. So, uh, Dr. Khaled, if you want to, for the people that are watching, can you tell them a little bit about yourself? Assalamu alaikum. First of all, Amr, I want to thank you and Abir for uh, doing this. Uh, this is what we need in our community, ongoing communication and outreach. Because the community that is well-informed is a community that can make the right decision is a community that can make an impact. Uh, as Omar said, my name is Khalid Shajra. I was born in the U.S., went back to Yemen. Uh, my parents took me there when I was one year old. I stayed there, and uh, unfortunately, most of the Yemeni experienced the same thing. At that time in the 70s, there was civil war between the Old South and North. Our homes were right in the middle. So we saw the destruction and the ugliness of war, the killing, destroying homes for no reason whatsoever as we continue to look at that 10 or 5% differences that we disagree on and we, we focus on that instead of focusing on the 90%. After that, uh, today our homes got destroyed. Uh, my father bought us back in 1973, been in the U.S. since then, never went back to Yemen until 1998. And it was the best experience of my life because I was able to travel from Sana'a to Tez, to Eb, to Sa'da, to Aden. No border lines, no checkpoints. And I felt, I felt at home. And after that trip, I continued to go back. Whether it's with USA, whether it's through the Arab Chamber of Commerce, sponsoring different programs for the Yemeni people. Because we owe it to them. We are so much different than a lot of different nationalities because Islamically it says that the Prophet taught us that when part of your body feels the ache, the entire body feels it. So we cannot turn our back on our own people. And at the same time, I was taught by my father that your neighbors are not going to be the solution for you. You got to focus on your own household, make sure you're doing the right thing. If you do that, then you become a good citizen, you become a good neighbor, you, you become an asset to your community, and that's what we're trying to do. I came back to Shannon, Pennsylvania, lived there for about five years while my father was working, moved here in 1978, finished my high school, of course in high school, and continued with my education. I'm a proud father of six. They range the age from 11 to 37. I am happy to tell you that I'm also a grandfather. 
but again, it's hard to celebrate life. It's hard to celebrate success when you see your own people starving to death, when you see your own people killed on a daily basis. And when you see foreign intervention destroying your country for their own benefits, no country in this world is going to put other countries above their own interest. So I'm hoping that with Umar and Abir, as you continue with this program, that it's a program that becomes a nucleus of educating our youth in which we can differ, but at the same time, we can unite and sit together and come with solutions. And if they can do it in Yemen because of the pressure that they feel from the various elements, militia groups, foreign intervention, we are the voice of the voiceless. We should be the foundation in the U.S. The youth movement of the Yemeni Americans who will say enough is enough and come with a solution by putting enough pressure in the current administration and the Congress and the senators, they owe it to us. We are very active when it comes to election. They come to us on election day, on election time. They have to reciprocate. They will not reciprocate if we do not unite and go to them as one unit, as one force. Right now they're using this fuse. One group goes to them and says, stop the war. Another group says, no. Open the airport. Another group says, no. Increase humanitarian aid. What you guys don't realize, we're all looking for the same thing. The destination is the same location. You may be taking a different route. You may want to fly to get there. You may want to take a car. You may want to take a boat. But our goal is the same. So why not unite toward that goal? and push our local representatives to come up with a resolution. We have enough people in New York, in California, not only Yemen Americans, but Arab Americans, that feel the same pain that we feel, that we can force them to come up with a resolution. Enough is enough. If the screaming of that mom that says, what, where's my son? If that doesn't do anything to you, you know, it's like, do you have heart that you to feel? Do you have eyes to see the pain? Do you have the ability to hear the agony? If you don't, then you need to question yourself. Sometimes it gets emotional because we see it. We see it with our families. We see it with people that we grew up with. So, Amat and I want to thank you for doing this. And I hope that this gets shared to as many people as possible. So when we walk away, before you do anything, you have to find out what do I want the result to be. The result is we must unify. We must look at the voice of reason in helping our own people.
because no one else will help us if we're not willing to help ourselves. That's true. Dr. Khaled, that was beautiful. Thank you for that great introduction. Um, and now I'm going to move it on to you, Hannah. If you want to introduce yourself and go ahead, the mic is on you. First of all, thank you guys for having me here. I really appreciate it. And like you said, this is an op- like awesome opportunity, especially to like raise awareness for you know certain things, especially coming to talk about Yemen and everything like that. But my name is Hena. Um, I'm a first year master's student at the University of Michigan um, in the School of Kinesiology. I also am a content creator. Um, I use you know social media, TikTok. I used to be on YouTube, not so much anymore, but. I try to um, basically represent Yemeni women, um, and yeah, I just try to do the best I can to um, basically like put our culture on. Definitely. <laughs> great job, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And then my wife chimes in and says, go blue. Uh, so she wanted to make sure that she puts that out there. She's also a U of M grad. And then I got my sister, Abid, here. Uh, the conversation basically, uh, for those that don't know, is going to be about the situation with Abdul Malik. And just everything that's happening in Yemen. So, I mean, do you uh, do you want something to just to say and prepare for right quick, just for the people that are watching and any thoughts you want to share? Yeah. Um, so, you guys probably know who I am. I already did my introduction during the last show. Um, but, yeah, my name is Abid Fabit. Uh, I've been to Yemen three times. Uh, our dad, Alay Hamad, loved Yemen. Like, absolutely. And it's so sad because he spent a lot of his lifetime um, work and money and savings to build our home in Yemen, which is by the way beautiful. And he wasn't able during his last years when he thought he would go and retire and actually enjoy it. He wasn't able to do that. And it breaks my heart and it breaks. And that's just one part about it, obviously. But um, we loved Yemen, you know, when we'd go visit. It was fun. We had family. We, were, we felt safe. But would I go now? No, I yeah. wouldn't. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to get a little bit more knowledge on what's happening in Yemen. Um, I want the people to understand what's happening in Yemen. And I want the youth to know what we can do, you know, to help Yemen. Because a lot of us feel like we can't really do anything, you know? So we want to learn just a little bit more about what we can do and how we can better our country. Yeah, and I could second that. I just want to say two things about that situation. First of all, starting off with uh, the conversation with Yemen and, and her mentioning my dad, Allah uh, Hame, he always talked about us about Yemen and instilled in us that, you know, that is your country and that you should love your country and care about your country. And we want people out there to know that there is a generation that cares about the country. Uh, we do, uh, we sincerely do, and we want to help as best as way we can so that we can make sure we bridge that gap between the first generation that came into America and the second and third generation of people. So that's why people like Dr. Khaled here is, is very important because you do help us in that cause by educating us, because that's what the answer is, is being educated, that's the first step, be knowledgeable about what's going on, so then we can figure out what's the next step, how can we help the situation. So with that said, uh, before we uh, start talking about the topics, you know, we do have sponsors that I want to give a shout out to. So first and foremost is Leo's Coney Island in Royal Oak. Their location is 110 South Main Street, Royal Oak, Michigan. So if you're ever in the Leo's uh, Coney Island area, just want to mention, it is Yemeni-owned, by the way. Um, they serve delicious American-style food. They're known for their Coney's fried chicken gyro, breakfast, chili. Um, you know, Leo Coney's have been around for a very long time. But the to me, the best Leo's of them all is the one in Royal Oak. Thank you, Omar Al-Hadami. Thank you to everyone there. Great service, by the way. Great people over there at Leo's Royal Oak. And so... 
I'm going to start off with you now, Dr. Khaled. And the first question that I want to know, because I'm sure you're very educated on the topic, is what exactly happened with the Abdul Malik, and I want to make sure I say his last name, El-Sanabani, El-Sanabani uh, situation. And can you, like, for someone that may have never heard about it, can you break it down from, like, the beginning and now where we're at right now? Yeah. So, Allah yarham Abdul Malik El-Sanabani. Allah yarham. I sit here and, and, and I look at your faces and it's, it's about the same age. Uh, he's the only boy of the family. Uh, he came from our understanding uh, when he was about 15, 14, 16 years old. I don't know if you were able to follow or look at his Facebook page. It's actually still on under Abdel Malik al-Sanaban in Arabic. And when you watch him, it's always like you're watching a, a teenager growing in the U.S. You know, it's a smile on his face. It's a celebration of life. He's talking about things he wants to do. And the one video that caught my eye was, like, he's pleading with, with his followers, you know, please comment, you know, I'm going to do a Facebook page, even wherever I am, and please comment, be nice, say something nice to me. That's the kind of person, you know, there's no bitterness, there's no hate, there's no ideology impacting him, you know. Um, and then he was so excited about going to Yemen that he actually recorded this. Yeah, i seen some of his vlogs. Yeah. And he's recording, you know, when, when he got to United Arab Emirates and um, with his face mask and then he's saying, you know, um, my Yemeni brothers, you know, uh, Luli Zuwa, you know, make a spot for me. You know, you know, you know, for the gathering, you know, because he knows that our tradition is that when you've been gone that much. Now, some people say eight years, you know, seven years, that's not too long. But you have to remember, when you're in your 20s, seven, eight years is a long time. It's almost half of your life. Mm -hmm. And uh, tragedy is that, you know, you get different stories. But the end result is, he got to Adam. And from what we have seen, because there's been pictures all over, people start taking pictures of Abdel Malik as they arrived in the airport. Yeah, I see yeah. Pictures of his pockets that, oh, well, this guy is loaded, he's got money. Pictures of even poor kid Allah, yeah. he's carrying a bag and it happens to be green from the outside. So they're like, you know, this guy's a healthy. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they've and, been following yeah, him. Yeah, so they've been following him. Mm -hmm. What happened is, fortunately because our government, the Yemeni government, and the people that are in, in, in the decision-making positions, they have left Yemen to be where it's at. That is, it's divided. So you have an Adan controlled by what they call the separatists. They call them as Al-Intagaliyin. Uh, these are people who are from the south, and uh, they want to be separated. They felt or they feel that the unity didn't do them any justice, and that people from the north came and just took all the resources, uh, took away positions from them, because in Unity was a something that was agreed on from both sides in 1990. 
And then in 1994, the war erupted. And the South ended up losing that. So, to be fair, I'm, I'm from the North, mm -hmm. okay? But I don't believe that our brothers in the North were fair after the war because they took away a lot of the positions from the people in the South. Now, they say, well, this was a war, and how could you trust someone to be still in the military if you just had a war with him? So they tried to justify that. But still, uh, the land, and there were things that were just, they're just not just. The problem is, injustice is, didn't just happen in South Yemen. There's injustice throughout the country. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's the power, the powerful, the one who is well connected, tribe-wise, are the ones that end up taking what they want. Yeah. I was going to ask you, are the leading positions, are they, you know, because of who they know, or is it their qualification? And yeah. most of the time it's who they know. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wish it was based on qualifications. Yemen is made up of different political parties, okay? And uh, I know a lot of people, especially those ones who are affiliated with political parties, are going to disagree with me. That's okay. It's okay to disagree. But their loyalty is to the party, okay? In the way some of these people are so obligated to their political party that they cannot do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And we know that nobody's perfect. You know, we all make mistakes. We all say, oh, I wish I can do that, or I wish I can say that, you know. But in their mind, the way they, they, they corrupt them is that you become part of this party and that you have to obey and follow, and they, we cannot do anything wrong. So, first of all, so whoever is the one that is the most loyal is the one, in most cases, that gets the, the highest position, okay? Which equals the highest pay, probably. Highest pay, yeah. yep. And uh, that's one aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But right now where Yemen is, because it's really controlled by foreigners, okay? You've got the Gulf states, you've got Iran, you've got the U.S., you've got so many different players. And each group is looking for who's going to give me the most so I can guarantee my existence. Okay. And whether it's money, whether it's military. So separatists in the South, they became loyal to the United Arab Emirates. Because the United Arab Emirates, they have their own goals. They want the resources of South Yemen. They do not want Aden Port which used to be historically one of the best in the world back in the 20s and 40s and 50s. And that's why the British hang around so much in South Yemen. Yeah. Because it was a gateway to the world. Yeah. Is that around Socapra? I'm sorry if I'm not. Yeah, so oh, Socapra, okay. yeah. yeah. Adan is right by the Red Sea. Okay. Okay, so what happened there is that, and, and you can see now the history, each of these countries, they came in not because they love the Yemeni oh, people. Of not because, you know, they want to help these poor Yemeni people. It's like, what's, what's in it for me? How much can I get out of this country? And who are the people I can get to follow me to accomplish my goals? So the United Arab Emirates pick the people from the South because they are in the South. The people in the South, the separatists, they love that because they felt like they've been an orphan. Because they always want separation, but no one will listen to them. 
and it's not in the interest of the West the way they see it, or anyone to have more divisions in more countries to deal with. Okay, so but the United Arab Emirates says, "Whoa, we got someone that they, they want to be separated, so we'll support them, and now we can own them. Now we can accomplish our goals through them." So that's one side. These are the people that control Aden. So when you're when Abdul Malik arrived at the airport, they were already observing him. Mm -hmm. So as he left Aden in different checkpoints, the people from our understanding what we saw, the people at the checkpoints already got all the information they need about him. His pictures, the, the green bag, the fact that. So I'm sorry um, if I'm this is a dumb question, but. The green, what does that represent? You said... Well, the Houthis logo okay. is green. Okay. Okay. So... And so this all happened when he arrived. So right. he, did, he was not even there in Yemen for more than, I'm assuming, a day. Yeah, I mean, he, from our understanding, that he just arrived at the airport. And, and it's... What's unfortunate is that our brothers in the South, what they went through... They're blaming every people, every person from the north. Problem is, ninety-nine percent of the people in the north were oppressed, just like them. Land and asses were taken away from them, just like them. So they're all in this, we're all in the same boat. The elites and the people that ruled Yemen for so many years—they're the ones who are basically take, who took all the resources. And at the same time, you don't find their kids in war. Yeah. You find their kids in the U.S., you find their kids in, in Europe, you find their kids in the United Arab Emirates, you find their kids all over the world, throughout universities. You, They themselves don't even live in, in Yemen. So, Sharia, uh, that we say, the legitimate government, and how did they get that name? When Ali Abdullah Saleh left, they said the vice president is going to be the president and that the majority of the people voted for him to continue to be the president. But it was only temporary until they have an election. Now, we're talking 2011. So, to them, temporary is, we're going into our 11th year, that's temporary. Problem is, the guy doesn't have enough support to live even in Yemen. He's living at an airport, at a hotel in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, with all of his ministers. So, how could you live in a different country and lead? And how could you make the decision for that country when you're living in under Saudi Arabia who are telling you what to do about your country? That's one aspect of it. The other aspect is the South, the Southerners, the separatists, they are owned by the United Arab Emirates, just like Abdul Bahadi and his group are owned by the Saudis. So there you see that their families, like most of them, where they live, they live in the United Arab Emirates. And their kids are fine, and basically, like you said, how could you make decisions on your country when you're not even living there? And, and as an example, Heine Ben Brake is supposed to be that new vice president for the Southern Movement when they do the government. But if you look at Twitter, I don't know if you changed it, and instead of having the people of Yemen, or the flag, of even the separatist flag, he's got the picture of the leader of the United Arab Emirates. It's messed up, man. There's a lot of messed up things, and, and I guess if you want to finish off now with the Abdul Malik situation, basically of what happened with him, then so basically he got caught up at a checkpoint. He got caught up by the checkpoint, and um, 
you know, like any young man, he tried to, to run away, he tried to escape. We've been here on so many different stories. At the end of the day, three crimes were were uh, infected on NBCNet. Number one, they held him hostage. Number two, they stole his money and asset. And number three, they killed him. There's no if or but about that. Now, who is responsible? They know who is responsible because each checkpoint is manned by specific individuals. It's not like it was randomly done. Yeah. People came from up with a car, bunch of cars, picked them up, and nobody knows who it is. There's accountability. So the people that are manning this checkpoint, they report to someone who reports to someone. Now, we're not only asking. We're not only asking for those people that, that did the crime. The people that supports them. The people that continue to encourage them. And the people that they reported to. And I want to make this very important. We're not doing this because Abdel Malik is from the north. If the same thing happened from a brother from the south, somewhere in the north, we are going to be as vocal as we are now. No Yemeni, no Arab, no Muslim, no human being deserves the right to die when all he's doing is he just cannot wait to be with his mom. That his mom is in Yemen. His mom is in so Yemen. So he visited Yemen to see his mom. To see his mom. That's all he was doing. And and then so to finish Abdul Malik Senabani, so they killed him. Then with social media these days, you can't hide a lot of you can't hide too many. It's things. a blessing yeah. curse at the same time. Yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So with with that, you know, they start showing pictures. Pictures, wait a minute, look when he arrived. Look what happened. Why are they taking pictures? So all this start coming out. Yeah. And I got to tell you though, to be fair, the brothers in South Yemen, most of them, 99.9% .9 of them, are against this crime. And they're saying these criminals must be brought to justice. And it's the right thing. Okay. So I want to make it very clear. I'm against anyone from the North saying we should go and do the same thing to the people of the South. No, no. People of the South didn't do that. It's certain individuals who are criminals. And, and, and we have to remember that. In order to heal the wounds, we have to make sure the people that create those wounds are, taken, are accountable. And we cannot widen that wound by continuing to do the same thing that others are doing to the wrong people. To the yeah. innocent. Exactly. That's what ends up happening. The innocent people are the ones that get hurt. Yeah. And so, Hannah, I want to just ask you basically I'm sure you did your research on the situation and kind of I don't know if you want to piggyback off of some of the things that Dr. Khalid was saying or if you have heard something differently as well because people obviously want to hear also what you have to say as well so so I mean you basically said majority of the story but um, I mean my experience I recently just came back from Yemen so I understand like the checkpoints so um, so after he left Aden, right, he entered, so he wasn't really in Aden anymore, he entered another government called Nahj, I believe that's yes. how you say it, yeah. So, um, in the checkpoint in Torul Baha, that's where the checkpoint was, and like he said, they had already been, like, kind of tracking him and seeing, like, where he's been, and, um, I mean, like, any American traveler, any tourist in general, would carry money on you, I mean, I don't know what the surprise is about that, I don't I mean, a lot of people are saying this too, but I kind of agree with them. 
I don't really think they think he was a filthy. They probably just like wanted to steal his money, rob him. I don't know. Like it, the story just doesn't add up. They've been stalking him since he's been like he landed in Aden. Um, I mean, to be fair, no Houthi is gonna just be walking around the streets of South Yemen just like that, especially going around with a green bag. Like they're not gonna flex like that. It's not normal, nor is it safe for them to do that. Um, I mean, from my experience, what the taxis would do is, so he's from Damad, so Sanabani is from Sanaban, and that's in Damad, and so that's basically about north-central Yemen, I mean, it's basically north, um, and you wouldn't tell the checkpoints, yeah, I'm going to Sana'a, or I'm going to Damad, or Baila, you wouldn't say that, you would more likely say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to Ib first, because if you tell them you're going to Sana'a or whatever, they're going to start questioning you, like, why? You know, um, luckily when I traveled, it was my mom and I and my aunt. So it was mostly women. They don't really question women. As soon as they see women, they decide to go. Um, I, I heard that. Yeah, but with men, like they ask questions. Not only that, a Houthi is not gonna travel by himself. I mean, let's just be real. Like, it's just common sense. I I feel like there's just more to the story. Like, some they definitely. Like, there was a different motive scheme going on because Houthi wouldn't just travel by himself um, out there, you know, thinking he's safe. It's just not like that. Do you think it was something maybe uh, random that just happened to happen and then they later figured out, like, oh, my God, we made a big mistake because this guy is from America and now it's out there and why did we just do this? Or do you think there's a deeper motive? No, actually, it's, it's very deep. Okay. Uh, a month ago, uh, same situation. A young man by the name of Fahd Ariyashi, who I know his parents, was studying in Germany. And he's got a Facebook page, I guess, and he argued with a friend of his who happens to be from the South. I, another young man. And, uh, but the young man knows people who works at the airport. So, as soon as he arrived at the airport, they took him. And he disappeared. No one knows where he's at. And he was going to get married. So, his family in the north, like, where is Fat? They don't know where he's at. So, they called the people in Germany, when did he leave? So, they tracked him down that he actually did arrive in Aden. So, they reached out to me. Uh, brother Dr. Dahan al-Najjar helped us and uh, a lot of people got involved okay? and these are only cases that you hear about so finally they found him in jail okay? and what we found out was exactly that there was a guy that he went at it with verbally in Germany and that guy knows people who works at the airport I don't know what he told them and the last thing they said is that he was a terrorist and that he was gonna, you know, blow up some buildings and do things like that. The kid... Making up, you yeah. know, excuses. Yeah. So, um, by the way, I'm, I'm getting messages that people are trying to get in and, and for some reason it's not open enough, I don't know. Okay, uh, it's on YouTube, AzBDF313. Um, we have people watching and people are commenting. So all they gotta do is search up AzMedia313 on YouTube, um, it's starting to pop up. More people are watching. Uh, 
we're live, you know, so okay. I don't know. I don't know if they have to go to the specific channel or not, but there's people watching right now. Oz Media 313 on YouTube. Um, I'll go ahead and type that in. But uh, I was going to ask you, Hannah, while he's doing that, you mentioned that you recently just came back from Yemen. So how was your overall experience? Okay, so before um, going to Yemen, I was really anxious and scared because, I mean, every time we talk to somebody that's been back in Yemen, they say, yeah, alhamdulillah, everything's good. But, like, is it, though? Like, I, I was just unsure of the situation, and I was traveling with my mom. Like, is it safe for women to go and travel like, by themselves? And, like, the thing is, I've seen plenty of people already traveling back and forth, like women, men going by themselves, and they were fine. So I'm like, I mean, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. But the issue was we needed to go to Sana'a, and the only airport that was open is Aden Airport and Sayun, but like Aden is the best option for us. Um, yeah, so prior to traveling, it was a lot of, you know, nerves and anxiety. Um, but then once we actually got there, um, and then, like, my aunt and uncle and my cousin had told us they're already in Aden, so, like, I'm like, okay, good, like, at least we'll have somebody with us. Um, and I thought we were just going to travel right away, and they were like, no, no, like, we're going to stay because it's a really long trip. And, I mean, like, if you look through, like, Google Maps or whatever, and you try to see the distance between, like, Aden and Sana'a, it's not that far, but there aren't really, like, roads that you can drive on now, so, like, Let's say the original distance was like, what, like six hours. A long time ago, it used to be like not that far. I'm sure you can agree to that. Now, probably take like more than 12, 14 hours just to yeah, get there. Just because of the different spots that are closed yeah. up now. And like the checkpoints and everything stops people. Like there aren't, we're literally traveling through rocks and mountains and just to avoid the area. I just remember another Samana. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember. There's this, like, you have to avoid, because there's a current, like, civil war going on in Yemen right now, you know? So you have to avoid that area. And so you just have to drive through the mountains to get there. Um, like I mentioned previously to the checkpoints, um, you just have to tell them you're going to Ib. Keep going until once you're in Ib, then you say, like, Tides, once you're Tides. That's you're wild. Fine you, can't to even, say. you can't even go where you want to go. Yeah. Like, that's mind-boggling. So. And then there's checkpoints. Every 15 minutes, maybe. Every 30 minutes, there's a checkpoint. I so. have a question. I'm sorry. Okay, so the problem is the fact that there's only, and like you said, you mentioned two spots where we can land. But mm -hmm. it's in Aden. So people that are from the north, it's harder for them because of the issues that are happening or because of the you know, conflict between the north and the south? Yeah, so okay. I, I wanted to finish the, because you asked if this is random or yeah. and I only mentioned the fact that Reaction. So now it's beginning to come out. There were others, about four or six students that came from Indonesia or Malaysia. These are all students. Yeah. You're talking, these are the, the bright futures. Yeah, mm -hmm. the cream of the crop. These are students who go overseas to get their education. And they get back, and this is what happens to them. So, but these are only cases that we know of. What I'm afraid and terrified of are the ones that don't have a voice, are the ones that don't have people to fight and to scream and to say, wait a minute, and to bring it up. And a lot of people are saying there's so many, many cases. Now, with your question, because they closed all the airports, 
The only airport that they are allowing to open is the one in Adar. So, for example, if I happen to be from Rada, which is all the way up in the north, or Sada, and I want to go and visit my family, the only place I can go to is Aden. So when I get to Aden, it's not, you know, it's now overcome, overcoming flying fear, but it's like, do I want to land? Right. Yeah. Because when you land, that's when really the trip starts. That's crazy, yeah. Okay. And uh, so when you land, and as Omar mentioned, you've got different checkpoints. Problem is these checkpoints are not all treating up to the same organization or the same individuals. Mm. Oh That's big. Yeah, these are different uh, checkpoints in each, because whether we like it or not, Yemen is now ruled by militias, mm -hmm. okay? So each of these checkpoints has nothing to do with the checkpoint before. So for example, you just drove 10 miles and you went to a checkpoint, they did a complete check, you're fine. And instead of giving you a pass that you checked all this, so you can go through all these checkpoints, or call on that checkpoint that this car with this plate number is good, let them go. That next checkpoint don't care, don't want to know, they have a different agenda, different motive. different motive, they have nothing to do with the other checkpoint, it's like, what am I going to get from you now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like before, I used to slip them a, you know, a little bit of money here and there, and you're good. But you they know. still do that too. I mean, yeah. if you don't want problems, you could just take them a little bit of money. But That's crazy. Not yeah. many people want to give money away. And we're going to talk about all that—the corruption, the wars, the famine, the sanitation, and just everything that's happening. Uh, so, kind of to wrap up the Abdamalik situation, is uh, what can be done. If anything, so something like this uh, doesn't happen again with anybody that travels. Because when I hear this, it, it pretty much tells someone like me, and I'm sure somebody that's listening, kind of like a situation, or even any ladies that are, you know, educated and want to go back to their country and visit it. It's pretty much saying you shouldn't. I should not go back there. Why would I do that? I have a family. That's the last thing I want to deal with. So. You know, you tell me, I guess, what can be done so this doesn't happen again. I guess bring comfort to people like myself or people that are listening. Yeah, so throughout history, some cr crimes happen and it creates such a movement that it's the beginning of change. We saw that with what happened in, in, in Minnesota. Yep. Okay, so what we're asking, first of all, there's different things that are happening. Number one, we continue who support and pay for attorneys over there to bring these people to justice. There must be a message that is loud and clear that if you are a criminal and you committed a crime, you will pay for it. And if it means someone from all the way 5,000 miles away in Dearborn, Michigan or in Hamtramck, Michigan is going to follow up and, and pay the attorney fees, we will do that and you will pay. That's number one. Number two, we are hoping that Abdel Malik al-Salabani becomes a simple, a point where the Yemeni youth said enough is enough and gathered and put enough pressure, as I mentioned before, on their local representatives to make this a point. But at the same time, we want them to take ownership of Abdel Mekka Senegani. Right now, Abdel Mekka Senegani is dead. He does not have any brothers that will champion his cause. 
So we must be the ones that will champion his cause. By us championing his cause, Omar, we are championing the cause of every Yemeni past victim, present victim, and future victims. And if we do that, then we have accomplished what we need to do for Abdel Mahdi No one throughout the country of Yemen has the right to kill another human being because he's got money, because he came from a foreign country, or because he does not believe every single thing that that person believes. We live in the, in the U.S. where it's the law, the rule of law, not the rule of man. Even if I commit a felony and I am doing speeding and they give me a ticket, I still argue with the police officer here in the U.S. I still have the right to go to court and challenge it. But and I, if I go to my own native country to see my my parents, to see my relatives, that I go there and they kill me. And they continue to do it. They will continue to do it if we don't stand up and do things like this. What are your thoughts? Uh, what do you think uh, can be done? What would make you feel comfortable about going back to Yemen or people that you know uh, that yeah. feel the same way? So I say open the Sana'a airport. I mean, um, I can't stress this enough. Nobody wants to travel like 12, 14, sometimes even like more, depending on how long they stop you at the checkpoints, just to get to Aden, you know, just to travel or like get there or leave. It's just too much. And I think if they open the Sana'a airport, I think it'll be safer for people to travel, especially if they live in the north, um, especially for young men. I mean, women, like we get away with a lot of things if they just, you know, like I mentioned before, if they see women, they just let them go. But for younger men, um, they opening the Sana'a airport is going to give them a little bit of protection um, if they live in the north. How about you, Abed? What do you think? What would make you comfortable? Because I know you just said earlier you wouldn't want to go back to Yemen anytime soon. So what would make you comfortable about going back to Yemen? Oh, I don't know. Um, Yemen needs so much help. It, it needs so much help. Um, it's scary because at the end of the day, if, if I wanted to go to Yemen, I would never go alone. I would have to go with one of my brothers. But I'm scared for my brothers. You know, I'm scared for them to go through anything that um, is even close to death. You know, so I guess opening the other airports, um, better leadership, like more. Um, I want I want them to be able to come together and actually lead the country the right way and not let other outsiders lead the country. But like, you know, obviously that's like far fetched, but maybe because um, I see that we have so many smart Yemeni, you know, Americans. Mm -hmm. And if there's a way that we can reach out to our country or we can try to help lead our country, but. You know, there's pride, and there's history, and then there's culture, and there's so much greed, and, you know, all of that together. But, um, you see, Yemen needs a lot of help, and we need to step up. Yeah, and definitely, I feel like, um, you know, I hope that people that are watching, feel free to, by the way, comment. There are people comments, and some of it is in Arabic, so I'm not going to sit here and try to pronounce it. But, you know, feel free to ask questions. Uh, but, yeah, honestly, overall, I just think that, you know, this is a sad situation and, you know, our parents have built from ground up Yemen, grew up in Yemen. Uh, and for them to see it, like my dad, every time we used to ask him, you know, he used to just say, tell us, you know, his heart hurts because of 
what's happening in Yemen. And mind you, Allah my dad never, ever, ever, ever explained the north and the south and the division. He never, we were Yemeni because we're, we're Yemeni. Yeah. There was nothing else. We are Yemeni. We had to learn Honestly. about it on our own. Yeah. We like, never mentioned it to Where are you from? I'm like, uh, Yemen. Uh, we live in Sana'a and, you know, my dad's from Baghdad. Like, you know, it's just, we didn't, like, the division, that was never even taught in our home. You know, and it's sad because in other homes, they're like, oh, they'll bring up stuff and bring up all the division. I'm like, bro, we're all Muslims at the end of the day. We're all Yemeni. Like, we should be helping each other. Like, it shouldn't even be a thing. Yeah. And I, that's how I grew up, you know? So it's sad to see that there's actually, like, it's... In his, like it's deep, it's really deep, and it's scary. Because as Muslims, there shouldn't even be a difference between anything, you know? So. And so that kind of leads me uh, to my next question. And I'm going to ask you now, Dr. Khaled, and talking about that, about the deep history of pride, which is not always a good thing, with all the wars, with the famine, with the sanitation issues, the inconsistent leadership, it's always a different person in lead. So what's going to happen to our country of Yemen, I guess, if we don't start tackling these issues? Because that's what crosses my mind. I know it's kind of hard to be thinking that like, you shouldn't think that way, but you have to in a way when you see so many. Like if, if I just named off one of those things, that's a big problem. There's like six, seven problems going on, you know, and within those problems is a deeper problem. So like where are we trending is what I want to ask you. Like where are we trending? Before I get to that, uh, and I think brought a really good point when you asked the question as far as, you know, about the airports. I think what needs to happen for Yemen, three things. Number one, all airports, all ports needs to be open immediately. So if someone in a specific area does not have to travel and go through all these checkpoints to get to their home, that's number one. Number two, the war needs to stop. You can patch things, but if the war and the bombs continues, you're just so I was gonna say which war are we were talking about because I know I feel like there's a couple of them happening right now in Yemen. The, the, the major war is really between the Houthis and those who are against the Houthis. Okay. Okay. And I, I say it, and a lot of people disagree with me. This is America. I'm not gonna get killed. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, it's a war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And they're just using the Yemeni people as equipment. And they're using Yemen as a playground, yep. basically. Yep. Yep. So, to answer your question, this is the Number two, we need to lobby humanitarian aids. I'm not talking about building the country because the infrastructure and everything is already destroyed. I'm talking basic needs. For the first time in my life, people that I know that used to be well off or what we call middle class are now asking us Please send me money to buy food. Mm -hmm. These are people that used to help others. So right now, it's opening all the airports, all the ports, stopping the war, and humanitarian aids. After that, see, you got to have peace first. And then we're asking the U.S., we're asking our government, because we know they have leverage over all these different players, to bring all these different parties into a table just like this. And to say, and we're hoping that these political parties in Yemen stop, you know, always link, you know, tying yourself up to these old timers who already have so much personal hates among among them mm -hmm. in their sixties and seventies. They are not the solution. If they were, we would not be in the position where we are at now. Mm -hmm. Start looking at the youth. Don't have the hate, the animosity, the big ego. 
that it's only me or there is no other solution. And let those people come together. We cannot have peace and rule Yemen. No one side can rule Yemen. It must be a coalition and you respect all different viewpoints, just like here. Leave it for the people of Yemen to elect who they want. And then, after that, we are asking for the West in the world to rebuild Yemen. From the infrastructure, from highways, to bridges, to water, so at least our next generation is not struggling. What we're afraid of now is that we are creating a generation of confrontation and violence. Mm -hmm. If you want something, you get it by force. If you want something, you kill someone and you get it. And if we continue in that circle, it's all downhill and we have not seen nothing yet. Mm -hmm. like savages. Yeah. yeah, so Hannah, I'm going to ask you, uh, with all the things that are going on, from your viewpoint, um, where, do you see, where do you see Yemen? I guess in the next five, ten years, and if we don't tackle these issues. So I've actually seen exactly what you said with my own eyes. Um, I think if like we don't kind of tackle what's going on now, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but our country will collapse. Like in, in everywhere, every way possible. From like it's kind of as weird as it sounds. What's going on in Yemen, as far as like uh, like mental state, is kind of or a political state is kind of like the same thing as America in a way where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer because they're like over there unfortunately like like you mentioned as well um, people that used to be middle class are now like asking us to donate and give them money um, just to pay for their water electricity food whatever it may be I mean I think Yemenis have like the best hospitality in the Arab, uh, you know world um, so like whenever, like for example, when I was there, um, one of the workers, um, if he wanted food, he would just come knock on the door and ask for food. Food like is usually like anybody would be willing to help and give you food, you know. But as far as like having money to pay for your electricity, your water, and like all the other things, paying for your family, like that's where they're struggling with now. And I think if we don't like raise awareness, raise money. Um, not just donating to like big organizations, but even donating to like people that are visiting or, or trustworthy, of course, um, or nearby, like individuals that are um, available in like neighborhoods and stuff like that, giving money to nearby neighbors and homeless people. Um, I think that would be more effective um, just because like they just need all the help, honestly. Before I pass on the question to you, because I've heard humanitarian aid from you and I've also heard the help, which I'm now going to move on to our next sponsor of the show, which is Give to Gain. Uh, Give to Gain is actually a nonprofit organization that sponsors orphans in Yemen. 100% of all their donations goes to the less fortunate. They appreciate everyone that donates because this could not have done, been happening without any of us. That is, they want to make sure that they share that. We know the family who prefers not They're to be named. Alive very reliable people so this is a great way i love them for putting this together and there's a guy that wanted to sponsor for me on the show and he said let's use give to gain as the sponsorship just so we could raise awareness for yemen so if you want to venmo it's at give to gain uh zell the number is 313-445-8638 and then cash app the money symbol give to gain 
Um, if anybody out there is watching, trusts me or my sister, I we can vouch for the people that are uh, given. Uh, they constantly do great things in the community, and this just happens to be one of them. Uh, so I want to ask you now the same question. If, if things don't change in Yemen with all the stuff that's going on, uh, where do you see it in the next 5, 10, 15 years down the line? Um, I honestly see it, um, the population uh, decreasing. Um, because of people, people leaving? People leaving, people dying, um, you know, people not getting enough aid, support. Um, I don't know, it's, it's not a good look. Honestly, uh, I would love to be able to, you know, visit Yemen and, you know, have our kids see Yemen and, you know, keep our traditions and keep our country alive. But at this rate, it's only getting worse. Mm -hmm. um, it's so scary because the last time I was in Yemen is in 2008 and everything was like amazing. Yeah, people know? say that was our good years. Yeah, it was in 2011. That's it, you know, and. I don't know. Like, honestly, at this point, I don't see it really thriving unless we do something. And people might wonder why Yemen. And so Yemen, by the way, is the largest humanitarian crisis and aid operation in the world, not just in the Middle East, in the world. Uh, Five million people are at risk of famine. And these are just numbers that people are getting. Who knows? It might be even more. Um, Fifteen million people need water or sanitation support. So these are just a few facts that I've gathered together just off of Yemen. I'm sure you know some more things about Yemen and stuff like that. But... Um, going back to you now, Dr. Khalid, and kind of going back, I know you kind of talked about already, what can people do, but if someone's watching and they say, okay, I want to help, you know, they wake up tomorrow morning, what can they do tomorrow if they wanted to do something? Okay. So first of all, I'm going to thank you. And as far as the non-for-profit organizations, I encourage everyone to, to be, I just don't want it to be like we just passed through it and not really understand the impact here. We get news where, first of all, what happens with war? Who gets killed? It's the men. What do they leave behind? Children. What we're finding out is that children, there's pride in Yemen. You would starve to death inside your house before you go out and beg. So what we're finding out in the past several years is that these orphans in these remote villages, they would wait until night and they would go through the garbage and pick up garbage to eat. I mean, that's how, that's how I want you to envision. I don't want, you know, you just passing, saying, you know, give to this organization. No, it's not just give. It is our responsibility. No child in Yemen, no orphan in Yemen should wait until people go to sleep and they go through the garbage to see what they can eat. So think about that. Now, I'm going to ask the question of, what can we do? There are many great organizations, and I don't want to name any because I may not name all of them. Yeah. yeah. There, is, there is a lot, yeah. and I, I, I honestly, the past couple of years, you've seen so much, and it's, you know, it's nice, it's beautiful. So, uh, and I'm always, I'm always the servant for any Yemeni organization that want me to speak, to travel at my own expense, and I've done that, and I'm sure you guys will be willing to also. The goal here is that don't listen to those naysayers because there's some that will always be there. Your money doesn't go to the orphans. Your money, half of it's stolen. If you don't trust anyone, sometimes it's human nature. It's within us. Some people just don't trust. Don't use that as an excuse not to give. Okay? Reach out to your family members in that village. 
Because remember, every household is impacted. And if you don't want to give to any organization, please give. Send to your family members that you trust. And, and send it to them and say, please give it to the poor and the needy. Throughout major and minor cities, they are now creating these bakeries. So it's an existing bakery. Mercy Bakery? Yeah. So there's different bakeries. So as an example, a group of came to me and said, we want to give, but we, we want to give directly. So we connected them, and they even named us the area where, where they want to give to. So we connected them to a bakery there in which they said, okay, we want to sponsor 50 orphans a month, but we want to do it our way. So they said, okay, well, what's your way? They said, we will pay you. We don't need to invest in building a bakery. You already have a bakery. Mm -hmm. So you already have the fixed cost already there. So we want to know how much does it cost to feed 50 families. They agreed on a price, and they said, okay, we want you to do a, a coupon book. In that coupon book, you give a, it's a one, one page for each day. So it's a coupon book made of, of three pages. Mm -hmm. And you give the whole book to the family, and then the mom, she doesn't want to go to the village walking through with guys and things like that, so she sends a relative, a neighbor, or her own kid with the coupon for that one day. He goes to the bakery, he gives them the coupon, and they fill uh, with food. And that is, you know, bread, and, and they give them water, just the need, what's needed. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's a start. It's yeah, a it's a start. At least, at least you're eliminating the starvation. Yeah. Which no one should ever starve at any point in their lives. Um, so I guess now moving on to you, Hannah, is the same question. Uh, are there things that you want to share about what can people do or help Yemen or anything like that? Or what do you want to do to help Yemen as well? Maybe if you want to add that. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like we've definitely hit on all the points that um, is needed to be done. Um, just continue to donate, raise awareness is important because, I mean, every, like, people will say, yeah, like, we know, you know, Yemen is starving, but like, they don't really understand like the backstory or other things that's going on. It's not just starvation, they're struggling with other things too. Um, raising awareness, donating to or nonprofit organizations and even like trustworthy um, individuals like mentioned. Um, and yeah, things that I would do. Um, honestly, I would go back to Yemen. I think I had an amazing experience. Um, but um, I would definitely like kind of I'm coming with you next time. For sure. No, seriously. Like, would you feel comfortable? You have a brother. Yeah. Your brother. Would you feel comfortable them going to Yemen? So, okay, we wanted to like go back and visit, especially because you know, with my grandpa still being around, we wanted to go back and see how his life is in Yemen before you know something happens. But after the whole like Senegalese incident, honestly, like it is kind of scary. But. And then again, if you travel in groups and make sure like you're taking all the precautions you can, I mean, yeah, I will. Was he alone? Was he alone? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Uh, what do you want to do in terms of what do you what do you feel like people can do if they can somehow, some way help Yemen? Some organizations that you've heard of, and what do you what do you personally think about doing to help out the situation? Um, you know, you should always give. 
Um, look up non-profit organizations. There's a lot of, um, you know, younger females that are, like, baking and uh, giving back to Yemen that are having, like, you know, they're selling, they're getting together and they're having different venues and they're selling the profits go to Yemen. Um, you know, just finding any way to give back to Yemen. It, money, uh, if you have, especially if you have people in Yemen on the ground that know people that need it, mm-hmm. that's where, like, I feel like the biggest, um, you know, bang for your buck will be, you know? Um, also, you know, not just highlighting the negative, you know, letting people know that the stuff that's happening in Yemen, that is not Yemen-like, you know, that's not, um, how our people are, you know what I'm saying? Um, just showing the positive part of Yemen, showing, like, how it really was and how we can get back to there, you know? Mm -hmm. So, just raising awareness, giving back to wherever you can give back, and, um, just highlighting the positive Mm -hmm. and trying to let people understand that, you know, it was a it was a it was a beautiful country, yeah. you know? And like changing the narrative. Basically. Yeah. Basically. And I kinda of wanna add on to that because that's kind of what I did when I was in Yemen. So uh, yeah, very you guys yeah. need to check out <laughs> so, her TikTok. Like, every story that she would post, it gave back so much memories, it was so nostalgic. Like yeah. I was like, Oh my god, I remember when you know? It, it's beautiful. I wanted to add to what you said, it's really important to like change the narrative and not just talk about the negative but the positive too. So like I mentioned before like prior to going to Yemen, I had a lot of anxiety, right? But then as I was there, I'm like, oh, it's not really that bad. So why not? Let me just record like what's going on. My first video was just literally recording my morning routine. And that just blew up out of nowhere. And I was like, I really didn't post anything. I just posted going to the bathroom, showing how the bathroom is, and then going um, like to the kitchen, seeing how the kitchen is, and going to the like uh, the t- you know dining table, seeing how that is. Everybody was just so just so intrigued and wow. And so I just kept posting about it, and a lot of Yemenis were like, wow, like I didn't think Yemen was actually that cool. And it's funny, like I'm alhamdulillah, I'm glad to say this, but a lot of the younger like generation that are going back to Yemen say they went back because of me, like because of the videos that I like were posting because. At first they were unsure, like, is it safe, is it like fun, is it like, you know, they had so many questions and I kind of answered those questions for them. And another thing too, actually when I was in Yemen, I was part of a non-profit organization. Um, I was able to um, use my social media outlet to raise money um, in order to feed, excuse me, feed um, like Yemenis uh, by giving them like uh, rice, flour, oil, water, and all that. So um, definitely being involved in using your social media like to raise awareness. I mean, it's 2021, you can do anything with that. Yeah, raising awareness is something that people can't take for granted because it's impactful. As you said, mm-hmm. people actually wanted to visit Yemen even after watching the videos. Uh, I, I want to end this on two questions. All right? And the first one is, if someone came up to you and said, describe a Yemeni person, because we all of our followers are not Yemeni. Some people might end up watching this. How would you describe Yemeni people? Yemeni people are diverse like any other people. They have goals in life. They have inspirations. They have belief. They have ethics. All they want is what an average human being wants. Peace, security, a bright future for them, for their kids. Not to have to deal with war. Not to be afraid to travel. Not to know when the next rocket is going to hit their home. For one, no reason whatsoever. And 
And you know, that's not really too much to ask. We in the West, we take it for granted. But to them, that is luxury, to be able to live like that. So, you know, Hannah mentioned the hospitality of Yemenis. You know, when I used to go there, they insist that they invite you. And you see the situation, how they are. And, and, and they, they would spend whatever they have. That's what we're thinking about next month and next week. And, and, and what they, they, when, a, when a person comes to their home, they make you the most important person in that household. That is so true. And they make you part of that family. So that's who they are. And we need to stand up with them. You guys mentioned social media. I'm appealing and I'm asking and I'm begging our young people. You guys know how to utilize social media. You guys should be all over this. Mm -hmm. Because as Omar mentioned, right now it's the worst in any country in the world. We need to do more. We need to show the world and we need to come up with ways to raise money throughout the world to, for, for them. Right now is when they need us. This is the time. And we have the means for social media. We have the access. We, we have, have the knowledge. We have mm -hmm. the knowledge. We have the equipment. All it takes is your phone. That's it. And you have the time and you know it. Spend less time watching football. Mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> I don't know how he feels about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just half, half hour a day and say, I'm going to... I know some of your students, they either have the money, but you have the ways and the means. And there are people who are looking for people to give to. They have the, the wealth. They have the money. So it's, I'm challenging you to be creative and to take those stories and the pictures. All it takes is a few minutes to Google and get pictures, real, true pictures of the Yemeni kids who all you see is their bones and create an emotional revolution inside social media. And you should be raising millions, all these Yemeni all over the U.S., all over Europe. You should be doing that. It doesn't cost you anything. And if you ever need where to take it to, there is all kind of organization. Let me mention just Google, sharing organizations in Yemen. And they come from all over. And if you don't know who, you have access to Omar, and I'll be more than happy to give them all the contact information. Thank you very much. Um, before we go on, final word, just want to add, add on anything, description of a Yemeni person. We're going to start with you, Hannah. I think uh, he definitely tapped on everything that needs to be um, said. Also, when I think of Yemenis, um, we're funny. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like we're like hilarious. Um, the most generous people out there, kind. Um, they're just really good people, very selfless. Um, and a lot of people like kind of judge Yemenis, especially because you know they just think about what's going on in our country. And they try to like project that on us like individuals when in reality like the political world is different than the individuals and the citizens of Yemen. Like we're just normal human beings with like normal, you know, like everything you said, like it's knowledge, all of that. Um, but yeah. add on to it? I just want to say I think we're the underdogs of the Harab. Yes. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> you know, but hey, it's going to be our time. I have honestly, I have really high hopes. Yeah. I really do. I do too. Um, but I think it needs to start from here. And the, then this go. specific table, no, or well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, we Maybe. kind of are. We kind yeah. Of are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just, I really think, because we are getting a lot of leadership and higher roles in the Yemeni, you know, um, 
politicians or whatever. So, hey, I feel like this might be our time. Enough is enough, mm-hmm. you know? So, I don't know. Uh, to wrap it all up, in my opinion, I, I like to use the word, I feel like Yemeni people are special. Um, I think that if we can use everything that we just mentioned and still find a way to smile, still find a way to wake up the next day and try to make it better for everyone else, I, I think that that is, that is some kind of special. Um, there's a lot of people out there, you know, they hear about all the things that are happening with Yemeni people and they look at us and say, like, it looks like, you know, you're still going about your day and it's because we are triggered that way, you know, we are ready to go. And I think that's the special thing about Yemeni people is that we wake up the next day, you know, say Alhamdulillah for everything and try to attack the day like there isn't anything happening. When we all know that all this stuff is in the back of our minds, uh, no matter who it is. So, you know, I want just one final fact. You know, Rasulullah with every hardship, there's ease. So I don't want to end this in a negative way. I want to end it in a, in a positive way. The fact that we have young people right here born in the U.S. taking ownership and saying we want to do something. We are going to be the solution or part of the solution. We have now the biggest movements in education, in the youth, girls, boys running throughout hospitals, professionals, the criminal justice, pharmacists, don't underestimate us. And they gave me goosebumps, I'm sorry. And we are, we are going to make a difference. And yes, it may start in this table. And there's thousands of tables throughout the world like this. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to do. As long as we have a common goal, no child in Yemen should die or go to sleep hungry. That is our responsibility. I mean, inshallah. I was going to pass it on final word. He gave his final word. Hannah, you want to give your final word? Yeah, um, like you said, ending it off on a positive note. Um, just even though a lot of things are going on in Yemen, understanding that um, you know there will be ease in the end um, and peace and happiness, inshallah. I mean, what's inspiring is that even with everything that they're going through, they still put a smile on their face, so it's very inspiring. You got a final word? Um, you might think you're just one person, but you might be the person that they need. Mm-hmm. So don't underestimate what you can do. Don't underestimate what you're giving. You know, it doesn't matter how much, or even if you're spreading the awareness, you're still doing something. So continue to do what you're doing, and if you haven't, Start sharing, start giving, start helping. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this was an amazing conversation. I think this is a first of many, inshallah, if, if you're down to come back some other time and talk about it, because we can break down each problem in Yemen and have our own show about it. You know, I feel like that's how deep it is. Uh, but this is the beginning, inshallah. We do want to have a conversation, but we also didn't want it to go too long to where people start to lose interest because there's important information that's being shared here. Uh, but thank you, Hannah. I appreciate you for coming. Thank you, thank you, Dr. Khaled. I appreciate you for coming as well. Uh, again, these shows are going to be put. Po- I mean, of course, to I mean, Big Sis. Sis. <laughs> yeah, of course, you're always here. So thank you, Big Sis, though, for doing this as well. Thank you for bringing us all together. Yeah, for sure. And so 
Uh, again, this is available on YouTube, Oz Media 313 and then you can later watch the show on Apple and Spotify Podcast if you want to just listen to it and don't want to watch it, even though you should watch it because, like he said, uh, this is where we already brought brightness to this room ourselves with our hopefully our knowledge and everything like that. Uh, but, uh, again, thank you so much for being a part of this. I appreciate it. Thank you for those that watched and commented and also will eventually watch and hopefully share the video, post it, and raise awareness, and you never know what can come out of it.